This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Adrian Bankert. She is an award-winning national news anchor and host of Morning in America on News Nation. But prior to that, she worked for five years with ABC News, winning two Emmys for her work on Good Morning America, as well as reporting for World News Tonight with David Muir and Nightline. She's been assigned around the world from Tokyo, Prague, and Paris for the 2019 Women's World Cup. She's covered some of the biggest names and headlines, including tragedies like the Parkland High School shooting, to the breaking news of the youth soccer team trapped in a Thailand cave, to some of the most heartwarming moments with stars such as Kobe Bryant, Lady Gaga, and Viola Davis. She sang with country music legend Garth Brooks. I'm telling you, this woman is amazing. Her book, Your Hidden Superpower, The Kindness That Makes You Unbeatable at Work and Connects You with Anyone, came out last year. And in it, she shares how the power of kindness creates an authentic method and muscle memory for being more fulfilled, more relatable, and cultivates a genuine safe space within teams, friendships, with strangers, and high caliber individuals wherever we are. I loved talking with Adrienne. She is amazing. I have followed her work for years. And so to get the chance to sit down and to chat and to just hear her story and hear her wisdom was so much fun. She is a delight. I am sure that you're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, on to my chat with Adrienne Bankert. I already know today is going to be a fun day because we were already laughing and we hadn't even hit record. Um, welcome to the show, Adrian Banker. Adrian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Molly. This is going to be fun. I love that we're both wearing pink sweaters. We are. I don't know if that was intentional, <laughs> breast cancer awareness, but yes, we match. It was, it was very <laughs> serendipitous. It was not on purpose. It was not intentional, but we're just going to call it a, a lovely <laughs> gift. Um, yeah, we're, you're in Chicago and I'm in North Carolina and it just feels cold today. And I just, I was like, it's a sweater day because... I'm cold. In any snuggly. event, <laughs> yes, yeah, snuggly, snuggly. That's right. That's right. Um, well, we're going to jump right in and I'm going to have you do what all my guests do. And that's give us the Adrian 101. So tell us who you are, <laughs> what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Okay. So my name is Adrian Bankert. I am a TV host, anchor, journalist, all of the above. I work in Chicago. I am one of the hosts of Morning in America on News Nation. I moved to Chicago a little over two and a half-ish years ago because they said, we want to start a morning show and want you to be a part of it. So I was working for Good Morning America and ABC News in New York City. I'd been there for five years. It had been my dream to be on national television. I worked in local news for my whole career. Um, I started off actually as a children's education host for a PBS station in L.A., 
And um, I knew that if I was going to be the kind of storyteller uh, that I wanted to become, the kind of interviewer I wanted to become, I was going to need a lot of experience, a lot of stick time, a lot Mm -hmm. of time on the mic. And so I got into um, news starting off as a traffic reporter, like the uh, morning traffic anchor who told you where to go and where the accidents were so you could avoid them. And first day, uh, first audition, went in and said, you know, you can hire me as a traffic anchor, but I'm going to be a news anchor. So you might as well train me on that too. And they thought I was a bit overconfident, but they liked that. And I I was uh, the anchor a couple of years later and enjoyed this career of mine. It's been a very, very interesting ride. I love it. Okay. I always love to hear kind of origin stories as far as when you were a kid, were you like, what is that? Was that your dream job when you were a kid? Or like, did you want to do something else like be a veterinarian? And then along the way, you're like, maybe I'll be a good journalist. <laughs> I'm always curious as to how that how that transpired. <laughs> well, actually, um, growing up, like so many of us, I wanted to be a TV host. You know, I watched Oprah and Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones and Phil Donahue and I loved seeing interviews. And then, of course, you see the Katie Couric interviews and the Diane Sawyer interviews. Um, but journalism, per se, was not even on my radar until I got into uh, college because I watched more talk shows being a kid than I watched the news. And I was about 12 years old when I had that dream. I was from a very small town. I tell people all the time there are towns that are as small as mine in California. It's true. A thousand people. It's still about that population today. A hundred kids in my school from K through sixth grade, 110 kids in my graduating high school class in the town over that was three miles down the road. And so even though I was born in Los Angeles, I was from a very rural community. And I like to call myself a country mouse, city mouse, because I had this desire to get back to the big city and be on a big screen. But I came from very humble beginnings. And I I think that that prepared me for where I am today, because when they hired me for News Nation, they wanted to appeal to the middle of the country, people who were in the middle geographically, but people who are in the middle, whether it was their perspective, their outlook, middle income, uh, middle politically uh, and a lot of folks in the country don't live in, you know, the Big Apple. They don't live in L.A. They don't live in Chicago. So I'm just grateful that there was this blueprint in my life, you know, that I did an architect that helped me get to where I am and prepared me for this. So as you were getting older and you were watching, because it's so funny, I think about that, too. Like I that I grew up also on Oprah and Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake was the one I always watched when I was home from school sick. <laughs> but <laughs> but Oprah yes, was like exactly. who I watched when I got home from school. And it's funny because I don't think at the time, like my my life dream was always to be on Saturday Night Live. Um, and but yeah. I always loved to talk to people. And I think that there was I had this innate fascination with learning people's stories and learning more about them by watching Oprah mm-hmm. and by watching Ricky Lake and by watching some of these really, you know, famous interviews. And I grew up outside of DC. So like I was always, you know, kind of surrounded by politics yeah. and and culture and history and things like that. Um, and so I always find stories like yours just fascinating of, of, you know, not even realizing that journalism is really the path that you were on, but just this fascination for story. So did you go to school for journalism or how did you eventually like land that, you know, where did you go from graduating high school in this small town of, you know, with 110 kids, which I can't even fathom that. Like I went to this, you know, I was outside of DC, but you know, there was like 750, 800 kids in my, my high school graduating <laughs> yeah. class. And, um, but now I live in a really you know pretty small rural area. 
you know, but so I'm just kind of interested, like, how did you go from being in this small rural school to, you know, eventually, did you go to school for journalism? And and then how did you land that first gig? So I think personally, there was a lot of drive, there was a lot of ambition, there's a lot of perseverance, you know, I wanted to become the person I was created to be. And so that just constantly drove me to want to be bigger and better as a human being, um, whether it was my career and just individually, my, my personal development. And I went to a junior college because we couldn't afford regular college yet, four-year school yet. And so I was there and I was entering my third year at a JC. And I somehow either met or was hooked up with this counselor in the office. And I don't know if she found out because she looked at my record and was like, why is this girl still at the school? <laughs> um, and, or I don't remember how we met, but divinely, uh, Carla Epstein Davis, who just popped into one of my Instagram lives recently, she started crying. She was like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing here? So good to see her. And she said, listen, you're going to go to USC and I'm going to drive you there. And I said, what? You know, and I didn't know anything. And when I went to USC's campus, University of South, uh, Southern California, and they heard me say I'd never heard of USC. They were like, what makes you think? I remember the woman that I met with, what makes you think you've never heard of USC? And I literally felt stupid because I'm like, mm. I really haven't. But it's because from my little town, nobody did anything like go to USC. Nobody was thinking about being on national television. Mm. And so it was innocent, naive, uh, perhaps. But um, I found out that they were the top, one of the top communication schools, if not the top communication schools in the country. And I intentionally focused on communication because that was my goal. My goal was not to become the best journalist. My goal was to become the best communicator. And if I was in journalism, I wanted to understand the methods of communication more than the perfection of being a journalist. And uh, even in my young age, I, I guess I was a little bit rebellious. So um, I, I focused on that. I took courses on, you know, anthrop- cultural anthropology, you know, um, but I, I transferred from the JC to uh, the four-year school because of that woman kicking me in the butt and saying, you ain't staying here another semester. And when I got there, they had a poster up on the wall that said TV hosts wanted. And I thought, this is my dream. Yes. You can host shows in college. And I, because of that, it gave me a vision for sitting on a couch and portraying this image that I had wanted to see. And uh, right after I graduated, they called me back. The station, uh, Trojan Vision, called me back and asked me, will you interview George Lucas for us? And it was just like, oh, my God, I was so nervous. I almost missed the interview. I was so (laughs) petrified. Like, I was shaking my boots. I didn't do my hair right. Like, all these things. Like, because you think you're ready for something. And then you realize how much fear you have. Mm. And that's part of the reason why you haven't gotten there yet, because you're so scared of what you could be. But I made it to the interview, had an interview with him. And um, from there, there was a woman who I was introduced to who came to speak at the school in the TV station. And she actually ran uh, NBC's LA station at the time. And I had an internship there. And then I uh, met with another woman who was a speaker at the school who ran the PBS station that I ended up working for. So the doors were open. So small town girls, small town guys can make good when they have somebody kind enough to open a door. It has nothing to do with your talent. It has nothing to do with your capability. It has to do with somebody being kind enough to give you a shot. And that's essentially how my whole career went. 
Mm. I think there's two lessons here. I think one, I really admire and appreciate your honesty and how like bold you were in that you were like, this is something I feel really called to do. I feel like I'm gifted in this area. And so I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to put myself out there. And so I think there's like that one side of the coin of this boldness. And it's, um, and it's funny because I was having a conversation with someone yesterday um, about just the concept of humility. And, you know, there's the the quote that always gets thrown out, uh, the, the C.S. Lewis quote, which I love about humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so but it's also not the absence of confidence. And so you can be humble and you can also be confident. And yeah. so I think that there's that side of the coin that you had this confident humility about you that you just put yourself out there. But then on the other side of the coin, it's such a reminder of, again, that thinking of yourself less in that when we have the opportunity to open the door for someone else, or we have the opportunity to mentor someone else, like I think about that counselor who saw something in you and was like, no, <laughs> basically pushed you out the door and was like, you're going, yeah. you're going, go, you're going, go on now. I'm going to kick you out. <laughs> um, and, and she took me out of junior college. Yes. But I, but I think like something starting, because if she hadn't have done that, who knows what path your life might have taken. And so, so opening the door for somebody else and and creating an opportunity for somebody else and seeing and calling out a gifting in somebody else, I think is such an important key piece of this. And I just really love that, uh, that kind of two-sided coin um, to your story. It's, it's, it's an encouragement to me, honestly, is to think about how might I see, uh, you know, see somebody you know, maybe younger than me and think, hey, uh, you know, that I, I see a, a talent and a gifting in them and how can I invite them into something? And on the flip side, like my, I mean, my first book is coming out in March and I've just been thinking yeah. like kind of in that mode of like, I'm really terrified of this, but also having that confident humility of like, no, 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 this is something I was, I feel like God called me to do and I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to walk forward in confidence while also being absolutely terrified at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be both. Yes. It's okay to be both because the truth is, is that when you're doing something new or doing something for the first time, you do have to kind of go kicking and screaming at times. Yeah. I mean, to think that every person who ever went boldly where no one in their family or no one in their generation or no one in their community has gone before was always just, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> is such a lie. Like nobody, I I don't know a lot of people who did that the first time out, but as you do venture out, it becomes easier and easier to stay confident. And, and also to balance, you know, I was just talking to somebody, you learn how to be confident without being too aggressive and you learn how to be humble without being passive. Mm, That is incredibly difficult, but such an important lesson for all (laughs) of us to learn. My goodness. Well, okay. So obviously fast forward many years and you moved up in your career and you, I mean, you get this job at Good Morning America and ABC News and you began covering some of the biggest names and the biggest headlines that our generation uh, can remember. Everything from the uh, Parkland High School shooting to the soccer team that was trapped in the Thai cave, um, which by the way, side note, little bit of a digression. My family and I watched the movie 
that was made mm-hmm. about that on Amazon Prime Video. Incredibly well done and also very stressful. <laughs> and so <laughs> very stressful. Um, side note, so just if that's a the story you're like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. You should go watch the movie. Um, it's very well done. It, there is subtitles most of the movie. Um, which my kids, we made the the our kids watch the movie with us and they did not love the subtitles, but they still understood what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little kids get trapped in a cave. They could die, but they all got out. Yeah. And because of the the, the efforts of a global dive team, I yeah. mean, it was remarkable. Ugh, man, so, so insane. Um, but yeah, so you, you know, you've covered some of these, you know, just incredible stories. And I am curious because obviously, you know, when you interview celebrities or, um, but more specifically, like when you're covering some of these major global news stories that, you know, many of us have, have just remember being gripped by, I have always wondered for you as both, you know, this is part of your career is to cover these stories, but you also are human. And so you are just as affected by these stories as the rest of us are. But then you find yourself in the middle of it. What is that like? And how do you, in the midst of that, almost do you, is it a a situation where you're like flipping on and off a switch where you're like, I'm in work mode, but then you turn that switch off and you get home and you just like crumble into a ball? Or is it more of a, you have to approach it from, um, from a more, uh, level headed way. I'm just, I'm personally fascinated by this and and how that works for you. So I'm going to tell you a secret. So a lot of people in the industry talk about, you know, the, the trauma of covering these stories. They are embedded or they are, you know, they see things that you can't unsee. And I think that if you're a, a foreign correspondent in, in covering war, like the journalists that we're seeing right now in Israel and, mm-hmm. and Gaza, I mean, restricted access to, to both of those places because of the violence there. Or if you're covering a school shooting um, and, and it's the aftermath, but you're dealing with parents who might have lost a child or a teacher who might have lost a student, you can put yourself in a place where emotionally you take on like a sponge, the atmosphere around you. But I have a different methodology and it kind of ties into what you um, are purposing to do with this podcast. You want to serve other people through this podcast. I find that when you're in a mode of service, you can kind of become invincible to grief. Mm. I think of the people who have volunteered and donated their time and, and they've got smiles on their faces and they're talking about how people are coming together, again, following this horrific tragedy, this attack in Israel. And I think, man, the composure that they have. I'm not saying that journalists who do crumble in a ball and and need to have counseling didn't serve. I don't know what they, I can't speak for them, but I can speak to my own experience and I can speak to seeing it in other people's lives that when you decide to go and serve, and, and it's something that I, I find myself needing to do a better job at day to day because people are walking around us all the time in trauma and it's not a new story. Mm-hmm. Coworkers are going through things and we don't know what they're really going through, but their persona seems like everything's okay or even that they're a little bit grumpy or that they are not as nice to work with. And frankly, I don't know what their deal is. And maybe I'm going through so much that I don't really want to take the time to find out. But when you initiate this thing inside of you called service and you say, I'm going to go 
and I'm going to bring some peace to this crazy time. Mm. And I'm going to go and I'm going to see if I can be a silver lining to this horror or this tragedy, not in a, let me sympathize, let me counsel you, let me stroke you and make you think that I understand what you're going through because I can't, I'm not in the shoes. And, And I think that sometimes there have been journalists that I've met who I think think that they have to emote as if they could even fathom what this person went through. Mm. The goal I think is saying I'm here, not I get it, not I'm putting myself in your shoes because you can't it's I'm here Mm. and I'm safe and you're safe talking to me. Mm. And when you focus so keenly on that, you become invincible to soaking up the pain of that moment that could cause you to yourself lose it. I hope that that makes sense. Absolutely. And I had never thought about that. And as you were talking, it just, it was almost a little bit of a light bulb moment. And um, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but, you know, uh, I'd mentioned to you that uh, my life verse is First Peter 4.10, which is each of you has, has, have received a gift that you are to use to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And one thing that's really interesting about that word serve in the the Greek, the original like Greek word um, actually translates more literally to minister to. And this idea of like the gifts that you've received, you are to use in ministry to other people. And as you were talking, like that's so sort of what I heard is like this idea of bringing peace to a situation like that's ministry like you're ministering to somebody when you're serving them and you're caring for them um and you're showing them kindness and love and compassion um and that's a really really beautiful way of thinking about it and not something that I had it had really even occurred to me until you started talking so I really love that perspective it's worked um and again like I said I even as I was sharing the fact is is that we all need to be more keenly aware in that area, whether we're storytellers on the front lines of a war or we're storytellers, you know, from the comfort of a studio at home or, or in my case in Chicago. And it's a lot of energy, but thankfully it's something that's not impossible. We've seen it done before. And if we've done it anywhere in our own lives, and most of us have, if, if service is something that matters, then it's just a matter of multiplying it and saying, okay, I've done it here for five minutes for this story in the field. I've done it here for two hours when I've gone and volunteered my time. I can work on doing it 24 seven, you know? Um, And it's a commitment thing. I think it's like being a mom. You're not just a mom when they come home from school. You're not just a mom when they're awake. You're a mom when they're sleeping and they wake you up in the middle of the night. You just, you turn on and you say, you know, before your mom, I'm sure like me, how do you do it? You know, I watched my mom raise seven kids, but I always tell people working this shift and being up at one 30 in the morning, I'm just getting practice and being a mom because moms don't get to sleep and they have to get up at obscene hours and you don't sit there and question, can I do it? You just say, I got to do it. And in that dead dedication or that commitment to being a mom, it makes you kind of invincible to some of the things that other people who don't have kids haven't quite created muscle memory for yet. Right. <laughs> Not that you're invincible, like, you know, the whole superwoman complex. I, you know, I'm every woman, but more in the, in the day to day, 
whatever it takes kind of vibe. That's kind of how we see serving when there's an emotional or tragic or hard thing to cover, I think. Friend, I want to take a quick moment and take a break from my chat with Adrian to tell you that my book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For, is now available for pre-order. It comes out March 26th, 2024, but you can pre-order it today from your favorite retailers, whether it is Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, Target, Walmart, wherever you get your books, you can pre-order it today. You can also go to my website, stillbeingmolly.com, and you can click on the book page and all of the info is there. I can't wait for you to read this book. I can't wait for you to have it in your hands. So would you head on over and would you pre-order it today? Now back to my chat with Adrian Bankert. Man, well, I think that actually brings me to uh, the perfect segue to the other thing I really wanted to talk with you about. And that is the heart behind uh, your book that actually released a couple of years ago, um, which is your hidden superpower, the kindness that makes you unbeatable at work and connects you with anyone. And it's this, the heart of it is this, the power of kindness. And um, so I would love, because I think that that, like I said, just transitions perfectly to that, is at the heart of what you do is also just the power of kindness and seeing others that you're inter- you're interacting with, whether it is at work or whether it's when you're on, uh, you know, on location doing a story or you're interviewing somebody or even just at the grocery store, um, how that kindness connects us to each other. Um, so can you kind of share your heart behind, uh, the book that, again, I think it came out in 2020, if I'm correct. Um, but that this has been a heartbeat of your life and your career. So, uh, just share a little bit about that. Well, I'm going to look up, I just shared this, this quote. It's not in my book. I'm going to use it though (laughs) for my next book. Um, and it's George Bernard Shaw. Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Mm. I have been on a series of of different chapters in my own life, just walking out. How does life look for somebody who's completely whole? And um, I, had a, I had a very amazing mentor, father in my life who went to heaven last year. Mm. And he's, he's actually the voice when you get the audible book, his voice is the first one you hear, not mine, which I think is just, I I'm just so honored that that's true. But he said to me, you should write this book on kindness. And I thought you should write the book on kindness. You're way more kind than me. And he said, yeah, but you have a different perspective on it. And one of the perspectives that I have is that no matter who you are, if you think you're the kindest person in the world, And I've met really kind people who I've said, man, you should have written the book. (laughs) You know, you are so sweet. You are way sweeter than I ever will be. But it was, what kind of woman do I want to be? Who do I want to be? You know, it's, you, you don't just get, you don't pop out of your mama's womb and just, you are. Right. It's, It's a series of events that happens to you. And I, and I started figuring out that it was a bigger and more important question that I needed answered, then what do I do? You know, you go to certain cities in America and it's like, oh, what do you do? And that's the first thing they ask you after they find out your name. 
um, or people put so much pressure on themselves. And I was one of those people to reach a certain level. And it's still hard to like, put that aside, you know, like, enjoy the journey, right? They always tell you that. But when I thought about how I could be myself, I thought, well, I don't really quite know how to answer that question, except for that I want the answer to be when someone says, who are you? I could say, I am kind. And I saw all the different hallmarks in my life of people being kind to me. Like we mentioned in the beginning of this uh, interview is the people who opened doors for me. I saw how being kind was my way, my style that nobody else could duplicate. And I wanted to know what made me unique, not in a competitive way, but more in a, I'm, I'm assured of me knowing who I am in this world. I don't have to compare myself to other people. I am kind and my kind is not going to be exactly like the next person's kind because I'm one of a kind, you know, there were just so many different ways to see it. And so the book is not just about like a nice little sense of etiquette that we should have as adults. It's more a series of stories that unveils to the reader how they can be themselves and how they can stop being in a rat race and instead run in their own lane and use kindness and and create kindness as a lifestyle Mm. versus just something that they should know to do and that it will open doors for them as they as they do kindness and they find kindness they'll actually see more of it and people will end up, it it comes back to you you know that reciprocity comes back to you not necessarily from the people you're kind to it can be from someone else and that mercy and that grace comes back to you over and over again mm. well, one of the things i know you talk about is how kindness actually creates a muscle memory for being more fulfilled and relatable. And I am really curious about this. Can you unpack this for us? Because I, while I am not innately a science person or anything, I'm actually really fascinated by, you know, mind body connection and how, um, like I, I went down a whole rabbit hole a couple years ago about neural pathways and I've people listening to this episode who have listened to this podcast for a while are like, Oh no, Molly, don't go talking about neural pathways again. (laughs) Um, because I'm just fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by it. And so, um, I, I was really curious about that because you know, that, that language, that terminology of muscle memory, you know, is that mind body connection. So can you talk that about that for us and, and unpack that a little bit? Well, I mean, and I don't go as quite as deep in the book, but, but here I'll start with the more like, um, book savvy or book relatable way first, and then I'll go a little deeper. So in the book, I talk about how, whatever you keep doing, like if I start curling my biceps every day and I focus on the bicep itself, not on just the movement, but I'm concentrating on the bicep flexing then I am building a memory in that muscle for what it feels like so that it's easier for me to focus without really trying. Mm -hmm. Initially, when you start working out, you're kind of like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it? I don't feel anything. (laughs) And (laughs) you and I, we all know what that is like. Yeah. But then over time, when you do the muscle correctly, then you start to feel it working in you and your body feels better and you're stronger. So you get this multifaceted effect. When you are kind, initially, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything. Like, okay, I'm going to buy somebody coffee at Starbucks. I'm going to open this person's door. It might feel good for you. Like, okay, I'm a good human. 
but you don't necessarily see the benefits of kindness from random acts as we've seen advertised and hashtagged and shared across the world. Random acts are fine, but as we do daily intentional focused acts of kindness, where we almost schedule it on a calendar. I've told people, I'm like, you might need to put it on a calendar. When's the last time I wrote a thank you card? Hmm, I can look back. It's been four weeks. Maybe I need to send an appreciation card to somebody. You might need to think about when's the last time I cooked dinner for my neighbor, if they'll receive food from you, because some people are funny about that. But whatever it is that will be a token of your kindness, can you put it out there where it's not random? It's like brushing your teeth. It's like flossing. It's like walking your dog then you actually start to see the effects of kindness in your life and in other people's lives and all around you. And that muscle memory, see in the natural body, I I have a a brilliant muscle therapist named Greg Hahai with GH Fit Lab here in Chicago, who I worked with because I injured myself. And I found out that he worked with cancer patients, dialysis patients, PTSD uh, veterans, And a lot of these people, their bodies were blobs because they were not active. And initially they were intimidated to do any type of muscle therapy because they thought, I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. But just little tiny movements that don't seem like they're doing much actually create a chemical reaction in the muscle, which is the lifeblood of our bodies that goes everywhere. And it's connected to our, our, our neuro, I I don't even, I, I don't know the perfect scientific terms, but all of the, 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 the brain body connection gets helped by the stimulation in the muscle because the muscle is like to describe it like Greg would the soil of our body. Mm. How does your garden grow? Your garden grows by having those electric impulses and that lifeblood stimulated by those contractions. When you stimulate your life with kindness on a regular basis, it, it, it has a biological, psychological, and physical change that you will find in your personal life, in your professional life, and in your mental health, because so many of us wonder if we're making an impact. And when you start to see kindness all around you, you actually realize, oh, this does work. So for me, it's about heightening an awareness of kindness beyond random acts and beyond elemental etiquette. For people that are listening, they tend to... they, they I would say that they probably... This is a could be a, a general overgeneralization, but we're going to go with it here. I'd say people probably tend to fall into one of two, maybe one of three categories. I'm thinking out loud here. You have the people who this is very, this is second nature to them. Like they are just innately kind people. They, uh, that's part of their personality type is they're just always kind of thinking about others. They're thinking, um, you know, about how can they impact someone in a positive way today? It just comes second nature. And then you have people in another category who this does not come second nature to them. And they are listening and they're just like, ah, this sounds hard. Or like, this sounds overwhelming. (laughs) And um, what do you say to because then also, and I guess maybe there's the third category of the people who maybe it does come second nature, but then they get really overwhelmed if they are ever in a season or a time where they've maybe 
life has happened and they've found themselves, oh my gosh, I haven't sent a thank you note in a while, or I didn't pay for that person behind me. And then they get like over, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they start to overanalyze it. And so you have sort of the people that fall into one of those two slash three categories. What would you say, or how would you speak to the people who fall into those categories? I would say never do anything out of obligation because that's people pleasing. And that's Mm -hmm. not what this book is about. It's not what the message is about. I think that so many people are afraid right now. And I think that the biggest thing for me is that the book was written also to eliminate fear, because if you're afraid, it's going to be overwhelming. You're in fear. And if you're afraid you're not doing enough, you're in fear. And Mm -hmm. anytime you're in fear, you're acting like a crazy person because fear (laughs) is like a drug. And I've been afraid. So I can say that it's, the world we live in is so fear-based and it's all about like, oh, I said that wrong or I didn't mean to offend you. And I don't ever want to live my life like I'm walking on eggshells. And learning kindness has helped me to be more of myself so that I can say things without fear that I'm going to hurt anybody's feelings. I can say things without fear that I'm going to offend people. Mm. And if I was to say something that people said, oh, that hurt my feelings, I can say, whoa, I apologize that didn't come out right then, you know, because that wasn't my intention to hurt you, but to not operate in fear. So that to me is the motivation. Stop living in fear. And my second piece of advice is pick up the book, listen to it on audible, and it will help you to be motivated enough to have balance when it comes to the kind lifestyle. Mm, Yeah. All right. Well, for then the person who maybe this doesn't come again, second nature to them. And it's not that they feel obligated, but it's like, it's an area that they're like, this is an area of growth for me that I really, I don't do this well. And I acknowledge that this is an area that I need to evolve and to change in. What advice would you have for that person? I would ask them what it is they want. A lot of the things that we say we want that we don't have Many people who are overwhelmed or think this isn't a big strength for me are also the people who are very disappointed Mm. and disillusioned by life because things haven't turned out the way they've wanted them to. And I had those kinds of questions. I wrote the book for myself as much as for anybody else. And I still have to pick it up. I'm going to read it today after this conversation. I'm like, this is good. I needed to hear this again. (laughs) But you... If there's something that you want in your life that money can't buy, if there's something that a kind of relationship or a dream that you've had that you're wondering, why why do I not have this yet? Then I would say, give it a try because it may be that the answer to the thing you're looking for is on the other side of an act of your kindness. All right. Well, before we run out of time, um, I want to transition one more time. And I wanted to just ask you again, like we, we talked about at the beginning, you know, you've, you've interviewed a lot of amazing people. You've covered a lot of, uh, really impactful stories and, you know, ones that everybody knows about and even ones that nobody knows about. Um, you interact with, interact with a lot of people just by the nature of what you do. And I know that this is one of those like, oh, this would be really hard to pick. But what is maybe a story or something that you experienced in your career that comes kind of top of mind, the first thing that comes to your mind of a story that has shifted the way that you do what you do or just impacted you in a way that other others haven't? 
two stories. One that comes to mind was a guy uh, who reached out to me um, an email, wanted a copy of my book signed. I got too busy. I didn't get back to them. It was a veteran. It was a man in his 90s. And I just got busy. And the email slipped through the cracks. I reached out months later and I found out that he died. Mm. And I felt horrible. And I thought, what do I do? And so I reached out to his family and I said, I'd like to send this copy to you as a gift. Forgive me. And I find out this amazing story of this man's life and how he was giving back to his community and a huge football fan. So he was a huge supporter of the local high school and the coaches and the players all knew him. And he was at every game and how much he loved his daughters. And so I asked them if they would join me on air and, and just talk about the importance of being responsive in a timely way, not just in general with emails and stuff, but just being aware of, of, of kindness and generosity in moments where people are asking you for something that really touched me and, and changed my life. And then the second time uh, was when my father watched me on air and I was doing world news tonight and uh, they cut my tag, which means my goodbye at the end of my story to six seconds. And I thought, what am I going to do in six seconds? And my dad calls me right as I'm like figuring it out and I'm trying not to be cranky. And I'm like, you're just giving me six seconds. And he says, Adrian, it only takes one second to make a first impression with someone who cares and someone who matters. Use it. And so I never cared again how little time I got on air or how much because I knew a second or two makes an impression. Mm, man, those are such good lessons. Uh, and I'll be honest, that first one is a little convicting uh, for me because I... I'm not going to lie. I've admitted this before on the Al Gore's internet that I am not fantastic at email. <laughs> and there has been many a time where I will end up in the the recesses of email. And then all of a sudden I realize that somebody emailed me like six months ago asking for something and I never saw it. And then I just end We've up groveling and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Um, but, uh, but just in general of, of just seeing, seeing people. And, um, and I love that you said even, you know, just kindness and, and generosity being a big part of that. Um, well, Adrian, this has been uh, phenomenal. And um, for people that want to connect with you and keep up with you, how can they best, uh, you know, connect with you online and, and where can they watch you in the mornings and all of those things? All the things. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at AB on TV. If you still use Facebook, I'm at Adrian Bankert and I'm on <laughs> News Nation every morning. A lot of people use Instagram and TikTok. I am on TikTok too. Pray for me because I, I, I still haven't gotten quite on the TikTok train all the way. Hey, um, I'm right but, there with um, you. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But um, but you can watch News Nation. Morning in America is the name of the show. We're on four hours live. Myself and Marty, uh, Marky Martin. There's a couple of ladies at our job that have very similar names, but myself and Marky Martin uh, every weekday. That's five to nine central time. So that's six to 10 Eastern on News Nation. Go to newsnationnow.com to find your channel. And now I start sounding like a news lady because it sounds like a commercial. But yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Here's my last fun, uh, okay. totally lighthearted question is okay. it as you, because, okay, let's just, we're going to just address the elephant in the room. All journalists have like their normal speaking voice and then they have their like, 
coming up next on yeah. News Nation, <laughs> like, is that, do you go to school to get trained for that? Like, or is that just, it's like some, another thing takes over and just, you turn into like journalist voice. <laughs> it's so funny because I, when I was a kid grew up and I said, I'm never going to do the news because they all sound the same and I don't want to sound like them. And I, I'm grateful for my voice. My mother sounds like she was trained professionally. She would read to us in utero. She has this beautiful, eloquent, perfect diction voice. And I always tell people she was my example for um, my voice. But when news people get that voice on, I really think it's just a matter of being in this cipher, like being in the news business. It's just, you do not have to sound like that to do news. In fact, a lot of times on my show, you will hear me break out into a voice or a persona and it's me, it's who I am, but it's because I, I'm even at this stage of my career, I work to not sound like news lady voice coming up, you know, <laughs> still ahead, you know, I mean, it's just like, but you, but the way that the scripts are written and it's not anybody's fault, it just literally it, leads to that. It and, lends itself. Yeah. But, but I, but it's funny because like, I would start talking like that when a cute guy came in the room and my dad would be like, you better get rid of that. I ain't gonna work. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't sound like a news lady all the time. I know. I know. Well, it's so funny because uh, I obviously am not a news person, um, but I do interview people for a living. Um, but then my husband talks about a lot. He makes fun of me because I have what he refers to as an ordering voice. He's like, your voice changes when you go to order something like at a like a uh, drive through uh, or a restaurant. And I it wasn't until a couple of years ago when he called me out on it. He was like, do you know you have an ordering voice? And I was like, I didn't know that. And then I started paying attention to it. I was like, oh my gosh, I do. I do have an ordering voice. And it kind of goes That's from this so like, funny. hi, um, yes, I would like, it's just like this overly. See, we're not the only ones. No. I'm so happy to hear that we're not the only ones that no. go into automotive voice. Yeah. And I, it's not, it is completely unintentional and it is me. It is very much me. It's exactly. just this random ordering voice. Um, but or then please. now I'm real self-conscious about it. And every time we go somewhere <laughs> and he looks at me and he's like, you're doing your ordering voice. Just text him your order next time. <laughs> yeah. I, I accept the fact that I have multiple voices. I'm totally fine with it. I've always had multiple voices since I was a kid. Okay. So. Same. You and I are the same. I love it. Uh, Adrian, yes. this has been fantastic. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Uh, you are just wonderful. Thank you. Ditto. And thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I hope you loved this conversation with Adrienne. She is such a delight, a joy. Just one of those people that the moment you're around her, you just feel a little bit more at peace. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. Will you let me know on social media? You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your podcasts or social medias. And would you take a moment to head on over to the app you're currently listening to this on? And would you click that subscribe or follow button? That way you never miss a new episode of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.